It's another edition of Baseball and Beyond today. A veteran of radio, a broadcasting icon, a legend. His ma- his name is John Hewlett. They call him You Man. I am excited to talk to you again, John Hewlett. Hello, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brad. Uh, you have more? Uh, no, instead of icon, I was going to say Icon, but that's up to you. What? Did, uh, I mean, I... I was not kidding. I, I do believe. I mean, anybody who's at a station 40 years, which you just celebrated 40 years at a station, you've been on the same station. I mean, how? what does it mean to you to, to have that kind of reputation? I, maybe you don't know that you have it. I think you should. But the fact that you are, uh, I mean, I don't know anybody in this city that's been anywhere in broadcasting for 40 straight years. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know either, but, uh, uh, you know, 40 years to me is, is I'm proud of it, you know, uh, being able to make it that long and and going through the various changes that we've gone through over these years at, at KC95, but not near as many changes as other stations have had. And I think you know, I, that's what I credit my 40 years to is when a station has the same format, pretty much the same ownership for most of those 40 years, pretty much the same management. So when you got that kind of consistency in all other elements of the radio station, somebody like me has a chance to hang in there that long. You know, so that's what happened. Now, do you watch, I mean, I don't know if people listening know how media works, but uh, radio, probably worse than TV. I mean, you can talk about any of the DJs running through here. They've been on every station in every city. Uh, you know, like Mark Close has been on eight of them, nine of them, uh, but he's still around. And just the fact that you kind of watch and see these guys kind of dodging landmines and you're watching from, from where you are going, wow, I've, I've made it. I did not, I mean, how, I mean, lucky, I mean, because it's not, this is not how it works. No, no, it's not. And, and most of the guys, well, a lot of the guys that you mentioned are guys who were the main hosts of their particular shows. And that's another thing. Other than my midday show, I was a host, the main host. But in, in the uh, volatile morning time slot, I was never the main guy. So whenever they made changes, it was one of those guys. You know, it was close. It was Smash. It was JC. But I was able to, you know, because I was not really the bullseye, I was able to, you know, avoid the shot, you know. What a smart guy you are now that I think about it. You bob and weave, let the bird come through here. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, bird too. I know, yeah. And then Bob and Tom came in right. for like, I guess they were here, you know, 15 years or something like that. By far, they had the longest running morning show on Casey in, in, in the station's 50-year history and certainly in my 40 years. So, you know, uh, that, that, was a, that was a strange period too because then I went from being their local – news and sports guy in the breaks that we had, the local breaks, to moving down the hall to K-Hits with Corcoran. And I did that for eight years with him. So, I mean, when you, when you stop and think that I did an entire eight years with some other morning show, and that didn't cover the entire span of the 15 years another morning show was going on in Casey, it's, it like blows me away. And that's when it starts getting in my, in my mind, like, man, it has been a long time because eight years seems like nothing, you know. Yeah, no, but it's crazy. I mean, I've listened to you all these years as a little boy growing up and thought, how do, how do I get into this business? But Casey, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but you guys are a rock station. You've stayed rock this whole time. You've kept the call letters. Not many stations do that. But you've had so many probably great experiences with rock artists and bands. And so I'm going to start just asking you about a few. If you have a story or not, that's great. But I know that Sammy Hagar is one of the first guys that anybody thinks about with Casey. The relationship you guys developed with him, I mean – 
basically it worked for both of you guys. You know, he needed some people to hear his music. You guys played it. This was a big, big deal in the seventies to have a rock station. Just talk about, you know, a couple, two, three favorite stories of Sammy and, uh, just kind of, uh, it seems like he's down to earth and just a good guy. And he, he really does genuinely love this town and it's, it's based on this radio station. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Hagar from the very early days, uh, as a solo artist, we were on his music, and you know he was trying. He was, you know had left Montrose, and he he was in the lurch. I mean, he he really had nothing going for himself, and he was trying to start this solo career, and he really wasn't getting that kind of very good response uh, around the country. But uh, you know, Montrose was so big here; it was just a natural thing to just you know, hey, Sammy Hagar from Montrose is is putting out music. Let's uh, let's start supporting it, and uh, it was immediate the the connection, you know. And I remember him coming into town many times before even St. Louisans really knew him that much and, and coming to the radio station. I got pictures of me with him in the early 80s and, and, and you know, him signing things for me in the early 80s that I still have at my house. And, and uh, you know, now he's moved on to – then he moved on to Van Halen and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I think back to the simple days and, uh, you know, I, I miss him. You know, it, it, was, it was cool when he was just a young guy. and We were all young guys just trying to make our way in the industry. So, you know, that, that's what I remember about Sammy is that he was evolving while we were all evolving. You know, we all kind of grew up together and, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of our association with him. And I, I'm sure he'll be a part of our 50th anniversary coming up here real soon. But, uh, yeah, there are, there are many stories. I mean, um, I've forgotten a lot of them over the years. But, uh, um, I mean, a, a recent one, for instance, is Roger Hodgson. I mean, he was just recently at uh, River City Casino of Supertramp. And, I mean, that guy, in my mind, is just one of the unknown living legends in, in the industry uh, because, you know, Supertramp was kind of a faceless band, really. And he was so nice to us, and he, he remembered Casey, and he, you know, he, he uh, recognized us on the, on the stage, and uh, now we have an association with him that's going to go forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are just so many over the years. I remember the, the early days of Journey when Steve Perry, you know, joined the band, and we were supporting Journey before that. And they were kind of an eclectic, progressive rock band, you know. And then uh, he, he stepped in there and Shelley Grafman and our program people started playing the music. And they just took off like that. And St. Louis was one of their initial big cities. And I remember going to Peaches on Hampton Avenue and, and doing a personal appearance with, with Steve Perry. And I think it was... Steve Perry and Greg Raleigh, I believe, were the two that were there that day. And the line was zigzagged throughout the store, out the door, down Hampton Avenue. And it was just a, you know, just a cool event. I got some pictures from that that I treasure. Um, I don't know, just meeting... Uh, well, you so and Alice Cooper is crazy. Well, You're a good friend of his, right? I mean, you've become... You golf and... Tell me about that relationship and what it's like to golf with Alice because obviously the, the stage is is all theatrics and, and, and music in the background, but just the relationship you forged with Alice Cooper, which is is amazing. Well, he came to the, to the uh, station one day and we were talking in the interview and he let, let on that he liked the game of golf. Back then, it was not cool for rockers to be playing golf. So, you know, I said, well, well we can go play. I'll, I'll take you out and play. We went to, to uh, Quail Creek Golf Course the first time I played with him in South County. And he said, but whatever you do, don't say anything on the air that I'm playing golf. All right, no, no problem. Of course, when he left town, we immediately talked about how we played <laughs> golf with Alice Cooper. But anyway, that, after that round in, in, um, at uh, Quail Creek, I had to rush him back down to the city. He was doing a, something on the, on, the, on, the, um, on the roof at Peaches, again on Hampton Avenue. 
And we were in a hurry, and traffic was building up on Tesson Ferry heading north. And I decided to take a shortcut. I made a right turn on, I think it was, I don't know what the name of the street is now. Is it Shetler, maybe? Something like that. Well, between Deerberg's and, I think, Walgreens. Mattis. And, what is it? Mattis. Might have been Mattis. Yeah, well, maybe. I, no, old, right before Mattis. Just, okay. just south of Mattis. We're South County boys. So, yeah, yeah I, I do. That's, we well, Tesson Ferry is always backed up. Yeah. So there's no <laughs> chance ever getting anywhere fast on it. So I made that right turn, and, and a, an older gentleman coming out of a parking lot of Deerberg's just kept coming. And I went, what are you doing? And bam, he hit me and hit the side of the car and knocked in the front um, driver's side wheel. We weren't going anywhere. And we had to get him to that thing. So we got out of the car, had to make a phone call. This was before cell phones. We went into Walgreens to make a phone call. With, and, a, with Alice? Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and we were both hungry, too. So we, 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 bought, we bought some Cheetos and we got a soda. And I called Mark Emo, who was playing with us that day, called him from, 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 from Walgreens. And uh, he came up and picked up uh, Alice. And, and while we waited for Emo to come and get us, we were sitting on the street corner on the curb eating Cheetos and drinking a soda. And um, that, was, that was one thing. But then I also played with him at uh, St. Albans Country Club. And uh, that was fun. By that time, he had pretty much refined his taste in golf courses. He was only going to play the finest. And uh, after that, we've tried to get him to play again. But uh, I guess after playing the Pebble Beaches and the Torrey Pines and all the places that he always plays, we couldn't, we couldn't turn him on in, in St. Louis to anything more, uh, more than that. Pretty fun, though. I mean, he, he's just, like I said, a crazy guy, but not, I mean, that's just an act, right? Oh, what do you see? A- absolutely. I mean, he really is a straight-laced guy. I mean, he's a, he's conservative. I mean, he he would surprise you in his in his behavior based on what he does. But he he's pretty much opened up to all that now as his years have gone by. But for a long time, his personal life well was a disaster for a while because he was an alcoholic. But for a long time, his personal life was nothing like his his image, you know. And he was very protective of it for a long time. If I could just see you guys sitting on the side of the road coming home from high school, that would have been maybe the best thing. Um, Ozzy Osbourne obviously has this great mugshot where he's in a blues jersey, although I don't think that actually the mugshot took place in St. Louis. I think it was actually no. Houston, right? But any dealings with Ozzy? Yeah. Might have been Nashville. Houston, was it Houston? Okay, so, I don't so. know. Houston to me okay. on the way here yeah. talking about it. But... Did Ozzy kind of make any rounds through this for this station at all? Yeah, he did. He did. I remember one time he came in for the morning show, which was surprising, you know, because rock stars don't get up in the morning. He's still up. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, this was also when they said that he's cleaned up his act. He wasn't drinking anymore or anything. But he's coming into the station. You have to set up a, a bar in the studio. You know, why? He thought we, he quit drinking. No, but you got to set a bar up. So we had to have a caterer come in and set up a bar. And I don't remember that he, he actually took any drinks or whatever, but I thought that you know that was that was very weird. And um, and then also one time I interviewed him at the Fox Theater, and we're behind we're we're backstage. This was before the show, and we're sitting on a couch, and he's to my right, and somebody else is holding our microphone and uh, and, and and tape machine, and Ozzy's got a cigarette in one hand, and 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 Sharon brought him a scalding hot cup of tea. For the other hand, and he's shaking you know, like a leaf, like he does, and all of a sudden I feel this fire in my shoe, right, right inside my my instep in my shoe. I had these boat shoes on back then, and so I guess I was kind of had my foot up on my toes. So there was a little little opening right there, and the ash from his cigarette, the the hot fire, red fireball fell right into my shoe and burned the crap out of my foot. And 
I don't have the tape anymore, but uh, when we played it on the air, you can hear me go, ah, oh, <laughs> So, Do you have a scar from, a, this is like an Ozzy Osbourne yeah. scar on your foot? No, I don't. I don't. I should say I do. It sounds better, but I don't. Okay, so we've mentioned two kind of the crazier guys, and those are great. Any, anything else that sparks your memory of people coming into the studio or somebody you got a chance to hang out with? That's cause I lo- Those are two great ones right there. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that's about as, as crazy as you go with some of these rock guys. But Well, Ted Nugent was always, always interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's he's crazy and he's funny you know whether you agree with his politics or whatever i mean you got to admit the guy's an entertaining dude mm-hmm. and i just remember him coming in uh, in the early days and he would just go off and and you know he just started like talking about spiders and the and, and ted was never a drug guy so i don't know what he was talking about he would go off on some tangents but um <clears throat> that and, and billy joel one time came pulled up at the old radio station and in uh Crestwood on Watson Road, he had hitchhiked to the station for the interview. This was before anybody really knew him. And he got out of a green rambler. And I'm standing out in front of the station. And I look, I go, that's Billy Joel. What the hell? And he goes, yeah, I'm here for an interview. I took him inside and Mark Close did the interview that day. But, so that was weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. Other, other Sam Kennison, the comedian, would come in in the mornings with us. And Sam was crazy as hell and that was now he was on stuff he probably <laughs> and was. was up all night yes <laughs> and was up all night and i'm looking for that tape right now for to try to play back on our 50th anniversary year and i got tons of tapes in the basement that most of them are unlabeled and i'm trying to you know find that because i know it's in there somewhere you know uh and we had a lot of sports uh, celebrities on on a regular basis too throughout the years you know joe mcgrain was one of our favorites back in the 80s and he has gone on to have a career in broadcasting but he started with us and Jerome Bettis started with us we used to have him on uh, once a week when he was with the Rams um boy who else uh, there was a bunch of guys the Cavallini brothers we had fun with them they used to do movie reviews for us um yeah I'm just trying to trying to pull it all together over over all these years is kind of hard but uh yeah you got to label your brain a little bit you have no labels on the tapes and your brain is it's yes. a lot of years of, of stuff. Well, and you know, and you're just doing your job most of the time, and you're not thinking, well, someday this will be something. You know, you don't think that way, or and I didn't. You know, and and unfortunately, you know, a lot of the people who worked here at the, here at the radio station, management people, they weren't thinking that way either, because and I don't know, maybe it's because we came out of we're, we're coming out of a rock and roll format, and you know, maybe there's this kind of thought to who knows how much longer this is going to last. Who's going to care about this anyway in the future? It's not like you're a KMOX where you you know you know you're going to be around for a hundred years and what you're documenting is history Mm -hmm. and we were just we were just having fun you know documenting fun your mind isn't necessarily geared to saving that as much as it would be you know if you were doing serious radio like you know them we'll get back to the interview with john ulett the u-man from kc95 as we go baseball and beyond this is definitely beyond but i'm definitely a big music fan and uh it's fun to hear some of these stories we'll hear some stories about uh some of the guys that he met in concert and some of the experiences that uh, they had back in the 70s with Keishi Kiss Kite Flying Contest. That's pretty interesting, actually. Pretty good one. But I want to tell you about our title sponsor, Masses Restaurants. There's five locations in St. Louis. You can find them on stlmasses.com. It's M-A-S-S-A-S. Masses. Five locations in St. Louis all over the area. Great food. Big portions, delicious pasta. They've got fish. They've got seafood. They've got pasta that uh, just Cajun chicken pasta that I love. 
They have a great atmosphere, so it's a good place for a date. It's a good place for a big party or everything in between. Bring the family out early. Bring the family out late. You'll enjoy yourself. I always enjoy it. It's just sitting around the bar. You know, before, before you're ready to go to your table, just hang out with those bartenders. They're a hoot. Your waiters, waitresses will be fun, friendly, fast. They'll be there to serve you. It's Masses Restaurant, stlmasses.com. Go to the website, find out where they are, if you're not certain. Winghaven, Baldwin, Bridgeton, Newtown, and the new one in town and country. And also has the menus there. So I appreciate Masses being the title sponsor. Again, if you want to be a sponsor of this program, which uh, it sounds like we have some interest, there's plenty of space available. I appreciate everyone listening and contacting me. Contact me on Twitter at Brad Strobinger. You can also, uh, if you're going to be nice and uh, enjoy these podcasts, if you could help me just by one simple thing, going to iTunes and leaving a nice review, get that so people search this, they'll see it come up right away instead of uh, the Baseball and Beer podcast. Anytime I search for it, that's the first thing that comes up. I want Baseball and Beyond to come up. So I appreciate you listening. We're going to go back to the interview with John Eulett from KC95 here on Baseball and Beyond. So we talked about people coming in. You had, I don't know how many concerts did you see, especially 70s, 80s. I mean, did you go to a lot of these? And, I mean, the Super Jam is the one everyone, like, looks at, the one at Bush Stadium where you had Ted Nugent, you had Journey, and the guys kind of that you mentioned. Um, the Super Jams, the Kiss thing, we're going to talk about that in a second, but just any concert stories that uh, you remember uh, being kind of important to your life, and, and how many have you seen? And, and just oh, to be being, yeah. you host them, I'm assuming, right? You get on stage and say, yeah. "Here's, tell me a little bit about those days." Yeah, we, we've done uh, a lot of the hosting. Uh, um, well, uh, you know, for me, even though I've been here 40 years and I have gone to a lot of shows, but nowhere near as many as I would have gone to if I wasn't the Cardinals PA announcer. Mm-hmm. Because of that job, I've missed a lot of a lot of concerts. And not that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's it's fact. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I remember my first – one of my first up-close great concert moments was sitting in the front row of the Billy Joel concert at the Ambassador Theater. And um, I don't know if you know the beginning of uh, Angry Young Man. He's just going – he was sitting right in front of me. I was looking right up at him on stage. I was looking right at his hand right there. I was right in front of my face. And, um, you know uh, – we, we don't get these kind of tickets anymore, but back in the day when we sold tickets at the radio station and, and out the window of the studio, too, try to do a radio show when people are knocking on the window trying to buy concert tickets and T-shirts and hats and stuff like that. That wasn't very, very easy sometimes. But anyway, we would sell the tickets, and we'd get really good tickets. And there were times we were sitting in the front row. Um, but uh, front row at a Jethro Tull concert one time, and he, I remember Ian Anderson was in his green tights. He was prancing around on the stage, and he came right in front of me, and there was this package right there in front of my <laughs> face. It's one of the negatives of being in a front row. Um, Quite a then, memory, though, John. <laughs> I asked <laughs> you for a few memories, and this is the first one that comes out from a concert. Okay. Uh, I got to sit real cl- up close, second row, for an Eric Cl- Clapton concert one time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, being on stage and inter- uh, introducing artists that have played at our birthday parties, you know, that's always been fun. I tell the story about Eddie Money doing our birthday party one night. Uh, we were doing a series of shows, Eddie Money shows. I think it was four nights in a row or maybe three nights in a row at um, Westport Plaza in the round, on the round stage. And um, we, we were having our birthday celebration before the show. And I had kind of like this history of doing things to 
people up there on the stage, like sweet meat every year was a tradition. If you're in the sweet meat suit, you're going to get hit in the nuts <laughs> on stage in front of our birthday crowd. Which is the pig that is the uh, logo of the station, which we'll talk yes. about in a little bit. Yes. And so, um, but this day, I Once decided... again, in two minutes, you've mentioned something about the, that area of a, pers- <laughs> a man's area. Interesting, but go on. <laughs> well, that's, that's always been a focal point for the radio station for some reason. Uh, because we have such a male audience. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yes. And so um, uh, that night, though, I decided to uh, take the birthday cake and shove it in our intern's face. So I, I, it was a big cake, too. And I just lifted it up and pushed it right in his face. And so we left the stage. So I'd say a dozen years later, I'm standing on the field at Bush Stadium, and I turn around, and I see Eddie Money behind the screen. And I, I said, damn, that's Eddie Money. So I go over, I start talking to him. He goes, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, I'd like to sing the national anthem here tonight if you can set that up for me. <laughs> and back then, we didn't have kids singing the national anthems every night like we do now. So there were nights when it was just Ernie on the organ. And Again, I, with the uh, male <laughs> regent, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Ernie, Ernie, rest in peace, would love that joke. Yeah, Ernie Hayes on the <laughs> organ. And so um, I told Marty Hendon, I, Eddie Money wants to sing the national anthem. He said, well, it better be Eddie Money, because he thought maybe I was playing a joke on him, which I wasn't. So we bring Eddie Money out on, on the field, and so there's some time, and I'm talking to Eddie before he sings. And uh, I said, yeah, man, you know, I work at Casey Radio, and you did our birthday party. You've done our different shows and stuff. And uh, um, he said, yeah, I remember doing your birthday party. Uh, I said, yeah, it was like three shows in the round there. And one night I threw the birthday cake on my, in the face of a buddy of mine on stage. He goes, he stopped me. He looked at me. He goes, you're the son of a bitch that did that. He said, I almost broke my f- <laughs> that night <laughs> sliding around on that icing on the stage, man. I, uh, I saw Eddie Money two years ago at Lumiere Place, maybe 500 people, 600. And it's the, one of my favorite shows I've ever seen just really? because yeah. it's Eddie. I, we always wanted to see Eddie Money, and it was, you know, fun. And he was out of it, but not out of it. Like he literally, you know, I don't know if, if anyone's ever seen him, but he, he bl- plays sax. He sings. So he gets out there. He looks like his eyes are closed, and then he blows into the sax. His eyes beat up. He's got seven to eight hits. And yeah. just to see him... In that little area, and then after the show, he sits down right outside the door that you walked in. He's like, "Who wants pictures, autograph?" Yeah, and this yeah. guy's a, a, a star. So I, I thought that to me, I always it's the th- fun about this is just remembering, you know, we're saying, "Oh, we're gonna go see Eddie Money. It's gonna be fun," and then just seeing how much fun it is. You uh, talked about having people to sing at Bush. Now, Steven Tyler during the World Series did a, uh, a a thing where he did what God Bless America in the seventh inning. I was wondering if you had anything to do with Steven Tyler. It was the World Series in 04 because of the Boston Red Sox. And I think mm-hmm. an Aerosmith was playing that night. And any Aerosmith stories? I, I'm guessing you didn't. I'm, I'm guessing that might have been, hey, Steven's here. You want to sing? Go sing. I don't. It felt like it wasn't set up. Uh, it just felt like it was a friend of mine actually peed next to him. Again, another. <laughs> but he did. He peed next to him in the sixth inning in just a regular pisser in the, at the ballpark which yeah. i thought he yeah. goes yeah i just peed next to steven tyler and then the next <laughs> inning so I, i'm assuming you probably had nothing to do with that but just the steven tyler i'm a he- aerosmith fan so if you have any aerosmith yeah. uh not really i mean aerosmith uh i mean they kind of would come in and, and just come through town and uh, I, I don't remember anything particular but uh other than uh one time he was on the field at bush stadium for the hit song um that we were not playing at the time because we considered it kind of must be Angel. Wimpy Rock. No, it wasn't Angel. Okay. It was a... Uh, um, uh, Dream On. No, no. This is, this is one uh, that... Uh, 
What year? It was 2000s. It was oh, the early if you don't want to miss a thing. Yes, don't want to miss a thing. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And we, we weren't playing it. And he was aware of Casey and, and Casey's uh, history in this radio st- in this city when he, whenever he would come through. And so, you know, I'm just a PA announcer, and I just wanted to make small talk with him. And I said, uh, Stephen, hi, I'm, I'm uh, John Eulen, and I work at Casey Radio. And right away he was like, whoa, because he knew, because he was down with another radio station. Another race station was hosted. Y98, probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one it was. I thought one oh, maybe it was 1077 or something like that. So he, he, right away I sensed that he knew that he had possibly offended someone who had helped him build his career here in St. Louis, Casey, you know. And then uh, we kind of talked a little bit about it and smoothed it over, but it was not that big a deal. But he, He's a sharp guy. Yeah. He's a sharp guy. He, he knows his stuff. He understands the business. Yeah, markets himself well, goes into yes. country, does everything. Uh, a couple other concerts or events, the Kiss Kite Day. I don't really know anything about this. I wasn't born. But many fans of Kiss that I know who told me this is a crazy. Tell me a little bit about anything that happened that day that you remember. Well, actually, that was before my time here, too. Okay. I mean, that goes back. I, I came in 76, so that was 74, I believe. One of the kite flies was 74, and, and another one was 75. And um, I think Kiss was the 74 show. And, uh, yeah, that, that – well, Mark Close has a great story about how he was sent to the airport to pick up the guys from Kiss in a van that had no seats in the back. And he doesn't even know what these guys look like. So how am I going to know who these guys are? So he goes to the airport, and he sees four guys get off the airplane all wearing leather. And he goes, I think that's probably them. So he gets them in the van. And they'll tell the story, too. And they're sitting in the back of the van. He's driving. They have no seats. There's no seat belts. And they're you know, flying one front end of the van to the other. And he gets them to the hotel. And he drops them off at the hotel. And they're staying at the hotel across the street from Forest Park, where, where the kite fly was held. And... Uh, it's time for the for the show, and Close goes and gets, you know, this is a Casey production. You know, it's not contemporary production or anything else. The radio station is putting this on, having no idea what the hell they're doing. So Mark Close, Shelley Grafman, who was the general manager at the time, sends Close to buy, get four generators to power the show, and there's like nine-and-a-half-volt generators. <laughs> and and they'll say they set the thing up, and um, Kiss, Kiss's manager comes up. He goes, uh... What the hell's going on here? So we're, we're, this is all you got here set up for this show? And while he's talking to Close, one of the generators craps out already, so they're <laughs> down to three now. And he goes, we, you know, we need 50,000 watts for this and uh, 40,000 watts. And uh, he's throwing all kinds of numbers at Close. And Close, Close, well, <laughs> we got about 18. <laughs> so uh, he says, we're not doing this show. No damn way. We're going to bring the band out here. And, you know, there's, now there's like 50,000 people standing out there. And uh, Close says, all right, well, I'll get on, my bo- on the phone with my boss. So uh, Shelly Grafman, uh, still at the radio station, Close calls him up. And this guy's a big dude, and he's pissed off. So Close calls up Shelly, and Shelly says, uh, uh, what's going on? Close says, they said they're not going to play because we don't have enough power for everything. Shelly says, they're not going to play. He says, no. And he, sell him, he, sell him, he said, well, then tell them, go home. We don't, we don't need them. Close goes, oh, Okay. <laughs> He hangs up the phone to Shelly. He turns back to the guy who's pissed off. Says, uh, my boss says you guys can just go. <laughs> and the guy goes, what? And he thought about it for a little bit. And he turned around and he sees 50,000 people. And he goes, 
All right, we'll play. So I don't know how they pulled the show off with about 18 watts of power, but they, they played loud enough for at least the people around the stage to hear it. Nobody else way out, you know, out there could, could hear a thing. But Good for them. Then they did better the next year when Rush came for the next one. You know, but, uh, what that, was that, the kite aspect, though? Well, it was, that was just everybody fly kite. your kites. But, uh, yeah, it was more of a concert than a kite fly. Yeah, because we're right at the end of Woodstock at that point. So I guess there's still, I don't know about St. Louis being a hippie place, but I guess there was a little bit of that kind of changing over. Because the rock thing, I guess Zeppelin really kind of changed the whole rock thing. But um, uh, you guys, I don't know if you had anything to do with Guns N' Roses uh, being here in, in, in 91. But uh, it's the probably, I guess, is this the one most people ask you about or people think about as a... a uh, most famous concert. I know we had the Beatles and we had Elvis and we had the big shows with Palm, but this one is is landmarkish. You don't see many riots. You don't, and for our town to do what they did, of course, yeah. everyone was a little hopped up. Uh, your guys' station has a YouTube channel that has a great documentary from people who were there, from contemporary productions who put it on. You're, I don't know if you were there. I don't think you were. It's probably a Cardinal game. But yeah. what have you heard about that one and just some of the things that uh, that the still come up and the fact that they're coming back and um, I guess you guys are part of that part of me thinks I don't know if I want to go because you know you, you did that to our town one time I don't really care about that but then you fooled us last year mm-hmm. I don't know if that was true or not and then the whole Trump pig thing in uh, Mexico now I'm a little so I'm I'm trying to decide if it was at Bush Stadium I definitely would go just because it's a Bush yeah. now the dome all right that was my soliloquy thoughts yeah. on that concert and just kind of what I brought up here at the end well, I mean, you know, that that, that night uh, will live in infamy because, like you said, I mean, it was St. Louis. We, we, we're not a town that people don't usually act that way here. So for, just for it to happen here was kind of out of, out of character for, for who we are. And then he was so, uh, you know, he was prosecuted and all that and had to pay a fine. And um, then on the next album, you know, put, you know, F.U. St. Louis on the album so... It was like it's a done deal forever. It's never it was never going to happen again, and it was just written off no matter what. And of course, you know the band broke up and all that kind of stuff. You know that history, and you know he went through this period of time where he you know he'd show up for shows you know through two and three hours late, and you know who would want that? You know to hell with them. Oh, they're going to get back together now? Still, I don't trust him. You know, and then we heard uh, a year ago when it was rumored that they were coming that uh, it definitely was going to happen. And the dome was ready for it. And a guy who's in the band now, who is one of our sources for the whole story, I don't know if you know. From Rick, St. Louis, yeah. yeah my brother Ford. knows him. Yeah. A musician, just, just a, like a session guy who's now in Guns N' Roses. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah, Richard Fortas. Yeah. And he told us he had just got off the phone uh, yesterday, the day before, with uh, Axel. And he, he wants to come back to St. Louis. And they, they want to make amends. And it just so happened to be they made this announcement on April Fool's. And we looked like, well, we got fooled. But supposedly that was just coincidence, and he definitely wanted to come back. And well, now they are. So what so, happened last? Nothing. Like, no reason for last year. There was there was nothing to them. It just was a routing thing. Yeah. It was just a routing thing, and they just couldn't couldn't get through. I can't remember exactly what 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 all happened. But uh, you know, you're not going to have a Guns N' Roses concert at Bush Stadium in the middle of summer in case something does happen. So that was out. <laughs> you know, and Scott Trade Center wasn't big enough. So the Dome was really the only place to go. And they said they were ready to go, but because they routed. One way or another, they couldn't get back here. So I figured there was another element of it that made it uh, impossible for them. 
But Richard kept telling us it's going to happen, and he was right, just a year late. Thoughts yeah. on going to it? Yeah. Help me out with that. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking about – and if you have tickets here today, I'll take them from you and definitely go. And that's why I'm here, John, actually. Yeah, let's, right. let's just turn this off and talk about getting me some good. But, uh, yeah, I, should I be conflicted? Should I just go? Here's what happened. Last year when I heard this was happening this all over the uh, Midwest, I thought I don't really – Axel doesn't sound good anymore. I mean what – I had a friend go to the Chicago show in Soldier Field. Then a friend over went in Kansas City at Arrowhead. And then someone went in Nashville. And they all said, you got to yes. be great. And so then I was jealous and mad that I didn't pick one of those three cities to go to. Mm-hmm. So now I'm thinking I have to do – I'm having a real problem here, John. No, I no. need your help. Well, don't so I should a, go, right? Absolutely, you should go. And I'll tell you what, maybe it's an age thing with me. But any more you – because know, the art form is of rock and roll with the original people – I mean, they're not going to be around much longer, and some of us aren't going to be either. You're still on the young side of things. Whenever you get a chance now to see the original people doing this great music that has become so iconic over the years, you better go because you don't know when you're going to get another chance. You know, I'm I'm trying to go to everything. I don't care. Large, big-name artists, middle-name artists, smaller artists. I'm going because I want to see them one more time. You know, in my life. All right, let's go. Give me some ticks. I'm going to wrap up, John. I appreciate all your time here, but we, you just kind of mentioned it. it. Rock and roll is 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 different. Uh, it seems like we go through this a lot, but I, this is a weird time where you can really, I mean, Foo Fighters, U2, and these are bands that have been around 20, 30 years. The new bands are kind of uh, bands you'd hear on the point, but it, it's still not even like, I don't know, back then there was Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and there's not any of that happening you guys still kind of stick to the classic rock format. People in St. Louis love it, so you guys should be okay. But the thoughts on just the way rock and roll, I know pop music's always around, and there's a, you know, for one Taylor Swift, there's a Paul Abdul, but it feels like, man, we are losing, we are losing some, some kids on this music. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things going on. One is that the business and technology has forced things to go to where you know, you, you got to be, you got to have hits. You got to have, you know, if, if you're not, I mean, artists, a lot of them are in it. They say for the art and, and it's true. But in the end, almost every one of them you ask, you want to make money? The answer is yes. I mean, they want to make a living at what they love doing. So I think the business has tightened it up to the point where, you know, you can't just be a free form artist anymore and slowly build your career it's almost like you got to – if you don't do it overnight, you're, you're not going to make it. And, you know, I hate that aspect of it, but that's the way it seems to me the business is right now. Uh, and that doesn't foster uh, what we experienced in the 60s and 70s because those bands had a clean slate uh, to do whatever they wanted, you know. And when you, let art, when you let artists and creativity just flow like that, that's when you're going to get the really, really good stuff. You can't force it. You can't force creativity. And I think a lot of artists today are being forced to force the – you know the hits and the and the and the, the music and all, but also you know the other thing is that clean slate aspect of it. Man, the can the canvas was blank, and these people were able to come along uh, and 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 do what they were able to do. And now I think artists today are trying to they're trying to find their space in that canvas that is full of beautiful artwork, and it's tough. You know, it's like trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I just worry about the music, but I think we'll be fine. It, everyone says rock and roll is dead, and then some Pearl Jam comes along. I mean, we had Poison and well, Motley Crue. That's been 1990. That's 26 years ago Pearl Jam came along. We keep using them as a reference point. We need another one, isn't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. It's not Coldplay. Yeah. Um, so you've done Cardinal Baseball. You're the PA announcer there. You've been there so long. 
Um, you work in the morning, you have to go there at night and it's 80 games, but I assume it's, it's a dream job to sit up there and, and, and be the voice that people hear all the time. And just tell me a little bit about yeah. your thoughts on, uh, you know, what makes that job great. I mean, I think when I think of, uh, you know, the job, Bob Shepard, the Yankees PA announcer who died, they had this huge ceremony and I start thinking someday that that's going to be John. I mean, John has been in two of these stadiums and you've, you've been there 20, 30 years at the old one, now 10 or whatever it is. This one, it's got to be one of the greatest jobs in the world. Just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I never would have thought when I first got the job, and I was lucky to get it when I was 25 years old, um, that it would be as important to my career locally here as it has become, you know. Um, like you said, you know, stadium announcers, I don't, you can't put me in the same category as Bob Shepard. I mean, what was it, 50-some-odd years for him? I'm, I'll be going into my 33rd season. Um, and he had a very unique voice. I mean, my, my and voice. And he was Yankee, so there's yeah, a Yankee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my voice is pretty middle of the road. It really it doesn't stand out. But, um, you know, um, there are only 30 of those jobs. So, you know, that's, that's, that makes it pretty special. And, yeah, for, for the longest time for me, especially before I got married and had children, um, it was just about going to the baseball game, man, and just being a kid in a candy store, you know, and meeting all the players and, and getting to be friends with a lot of guys over the years. But as I've matured through the process and had a family and, and uh, uh, now the players are so much younger than me, I mean, I don't even bother to go down there. Now I just I, I do it just for, the, uh, just for the game, you know. It's not about the players and the money or anything like that anymore. And I just realize now as I get older that, Everyone is, everyone is special, and then the Cardinals have been so successful, and that's also made the job, you know, more visible. You know, if it was like if I was the P- Pittsburgh announcers, Pittsburgh Pirates PA announcer, I mean, they've probably gone through like ten of them. Nobody really noticed or cared because nobody was going to the games, you know. So the stadium's always full, and that's always been. And, and so you know, my voice has been out there a lot, and the Cardinals use me on their on their commercials and and everything, and. I do the Cardinals kids television show as well, Professor U Man. So uh, it's been a very important part of my my career, um, and my kids love the fact that that I'm doing it now. You know, that's another reason why I keep doing it. And I just want to I just want to see how long I can do it. You know, I just want to see how long I can hang in there. And it's been tougher for me than probably every other PA announcer out there for Major League Baseball because I doubt the other ones have to get up at four thirty in the morning and do a morning show the next day. So I, I try to keep myself in good physical shape so, so that I can handle that pretty easily, you know. And so far, knocking on wood, you know, I've been able to do it. Yeah. So I don't know how you do it because uh, I used to do a job where I was over there every day and it would just be – I try to get out of it as quickly as possible. So th- to be there through rain delays and all that, yeah. uh, no one's going to cry that John's doing rain no, delays. And, but, no. and I, but, uh, but lastly, and just, just wrapping up, Casey's 50th year anniversary, uh, your, your morning host, Learn, is trying to get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, so they're there permanently. They should be there. Uh, it's it's a station that obviously people know about. But you guys are coming up. Your 40th was so was so cool to see. 50 years of this station. Um, you guys have obviously a lot coming up. I think to me, what I remember most, 
is you guys were so creative with those commercials and Brown Sugar. I mean, the only way I know the song Brown Sugar is from the Keishi commercials, mm-hmm. and he's doing it again. He's doing then the Sweet Meat. You guys have done such a great job throughout the years of keeping this alive. Tell me a little bit about what it means that this station's 50 years old and what you guys have planned. And it just, it, it really is, I don't know if people really realize how special it is. If you don't find stations that stick no. with the same call letters and the same format and have the same people that you can hear day to day, and it, it becomes a community, and that's what it's supposed to be, not some, you know, Ryan Seacrest doing it from L.A. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's our audience. I mean, the audience has been so um, reliable and loyal over the years. Uh, I mean, it, it amazes me all the time, and unfortunately now we're getting older, and some of them are, you know, we're, 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 we're dying off, but we're also, you know, rock and roll and, and the station have been passed, has been passed down generationally to younger people who we, 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 we they win contests. We see them at the concerts, you know. I walked into a, uh, the, the brew, uh, what, beer, brew and Beer. What's that new place, the Kisses place down there in Chesterfield Valley the other day? And a 17-year-old kid came up to me and asked me how my hernia is doing because we do a hernia update thing on the air in the morning. You know, it's like, wow, it just blows me away. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been something that's it's generational. It's, uh, Casey is as uh, much as St. Louis as, and it sounds corny, but the arch and you know, everything else you can think of. But it's true. And it is true. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, you know, we, we are very protective of that. Our management is. And so, uh, yeah, for me, it, it's just been an incredible, fun time. And I can't believe that I've, you know, lasted as long as I have. But I knew early on in my career that I was on the right vessel, that I was in the right place. Because right away I sensed the loyalty and the love of the radio station and the music that our listeners had. And I had been set up some other stations prior to that. Uh, by no by no means enough stations you would think to to notice something like that. But I did right away, and I said, I mean, I'm going to ride this thing out as long as I can, and I have. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. I know I took a little more than usual. I always do that, but I enjoy hearing the stories. And 23, 23 years ago, over in the other building, you let me come in and talk to you and do an interview with you. It was my ninth public access show you sat down and did it just like you did here and i thought it was great because i was just a kid with a little home movie camera and a wire and a bad hairdo and a terrible shirt and you were so nice to me then and you're nice to me now and i think that helps when uh you know as a kid growing up through the business you get someone like you who shows you that there are nice people in this business well i remember that and i remember how no yeah i do i do i remember how eager you were and when you see the the uh, a young person like that who's uh you know just really into the broadcasting industry i picked that up from you right away uh i just want to help you know and i said i'm gonna keep an eye on that guy and I've watched your career develop as time has gone on, too. And here you're still, you know, still doing From public access work. to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that means you love it. I you do know, love there's it. There's something I, about it that you love. Yeah, I do I, love the art of the interview. I love hearing stories, and that's why I'm doing yeah, this one. Yeah, I could tell that from, from back then. So anytime you need anything, All right, maybe whatever. 20 years from now, Let's we'll be talking it. about your 60th year anniversary here. Yeah. Thank you, John Hewlett, uh, the U-Man, a legend in St. Louis, Casey Radio, 50-year anniversary. I appreciate his time. This time as I did 23 years ago. It's Baseball and Beyond presented by Masses Restaurant. Thank you for listening. Follow me on Twitter at Brad Stravenger and subscribe on iTunes and give it a good review. John, go to, go to iTunes and say, nice job, Brad. We want to hear more St. Louis media legends. Will do. All right. Thanks for listening.